Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal of Navigator's Western Operations. Welcome to The Western Edge, a Navigator podcast featuring the latest perspectives on Western Canada's biggest stories. This episode, I'm joined by Shay Bird, Chief Executive Officer of Indigenous Tourism Alberta. As CEO, Shay is responsible for the development and growth of Alberta's Indigenous tourism industry. With summer just around the corner, we're hoping that this conversation leaves you with some ideas on how and why you should explore the great Indigenous tourism here in Alberta this year. Well, welcome, Shay, and uh, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have the conversation. All right, so listen, let's just start off with what is Indigenous tourism? I, I think people you know, know about it, places to visit for Indigenous culture and the like, but but maybe not. What What is Indigenous uh, tourism? Well, I think there's a couple different perspectives on what Indigenous tourism is, how we define it as an organization, which is really in alignment with our national body, the Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada, is any tourism-focused business uh, that is majority-owned and operated Indigenous. So that could be anything from you know, a casino to restaurant, a cultural experience, medicine walk, or it could be, you know, a tourism experience that doesn't uh, have front facing cultural components to it, but is owned and operated indigenous. And obviously there's going to be some communication and tie into the guides, you know, history of being indigenous and on that land. But, you know, face value, it looks like a fly fishing tour or a rock climbing tour and those type of things. But there's still that connection just by nature of the individuals that are, are really uh, providing the experience. Well, it, it makes sense. It can't be Indigenous tourism unless it's Indigenous-led and Indigenous-owned, it would make sense. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about this sector and its growth and, and what you've seen over, I guess, maybe even the last 10 years. Yeah, it's it's been a certainly a fast growing sector it was you know pre-covid it was the fastest growing subsector of tourism in the country um, we've seen significant growth over the past say four years in alberta itself as well and it's it's really a emerging sector that not only we're seeing emergence of the entrepreneurs and communities who look to get into this space but also from a demand level um you know whether it's domestically i think prior to covid and the current environment that we're in right now within the reconciliation process in canada we actually saw higher sentiment towards indigenous tourism from our international markets so we actually have more demand coming from the uk germany france you know the us than we did in our own backyard um, but certainly with, you know, the acknowledgement of the findings at the residential schools and this kind of cultural awakening for Canada to understand, oh, hey, I might not have known the entire accurate story of our country. Um, we're seeing a increased appetite from our domestic audience to say, hey, I want to learn more. I've been living in this world, living on traditional territory my entire life. But I really don't know anything about the traditional community that is in my own backyard or that is in that other province or territory. So we're certainly seeing an increase from domestic demand, international demand, but also from the communities and entrepreneurs looking to get into this space. You know, it's interesting because because we are in Canada having to really relearn our history and have a better, deeper understanding of that. Tell me about the role that that Indigenous tourism can play in that. I know you touched on a couple of things, but I'd like to dive down a little deeper into that. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's interesting because right now we're in a landscape where Canadians are really questioning their <laughs> mindset or what they knew or what they thought they knew, right? And the narrative wasn't necessarily provided with a Indigenous narrative. It was a colonial or European narrative that 
wasn't necessarily accurate. But this is what we grew up to know, and this is uh, what we thought of the current landscape environment. So now these, you know, various things are popping up where people are like, I didn't know about this. Why wasn't I taught this? And people are looking, okay, well, now how can I dive deeper? How can I learn more? And you know, what's my responsibility to learn more as individuals living and, and, you know, playing on traditional territory. So I think we're, we're in a really interesting time right now where it's not like indigenous product or cultural experiences and stuff is new to indigenous people. These are things that have been happening for a very long time, uh, typically within community. But again, we have to remember that, you know, 20 years ago, these same things that are in huge demand weren't allowed to even happen. So we have to go through this process of a communities, entrepreneurs healing themselves and getting to a point where they are actually learning about their own culture. Because again, it, it's not just, you know, it's, it's Canada that was colonized, not just, you know, the non-indigenous that were taught a certain way. It's the indigenous people that were also colonized, which means that we, we still have to, kind of regenerate cultural understanding from community members themselves in the youth and the elders, whether it's language or just tradition or protocol and these type of things, right? So we have to go through a period of really healing from the community's perspective and, and getting, you know, what they need to feel comfortable to share their story in a way that they want it to be shared. And I think that's really the essence of Indigenous tourism and, and us as an organization really is how can we provide a platform for our indigenous communities and entrepreneurs to share their story the way that they want it to be shared? And that's ultimately the goal and why there's so much value to it. Because, you know, we're not here as a provincial organization creating a narrative. We're just simply here to uplift those entrepreneurs and those communities to provide a platform for them to share their story authentically in a way that they want it to be shared because that platform hasn't been there in the past and it needs to be there for the story to be told accurately and authentically. You know, it's a strange thing for, for non-Indigenous people to, to realize that the history that perhaps that, that I learned in school was incomplete at best and, and in some case inaccurate at worst. You know, we, we talked prior to, to recording here about the role that maybe in, Indigenous tourism can play in reconciliation. There's a lot of serious introspection and thoughtfulness that needs to go on in reconciliation, but there's also learning and, and positive learnings in terms of some of the joy that comes from learning about another culture or experience and, and, and on a vacation or whatever the case would be. Do you see that as, as, as Indigenous tourism playing that role in Canada? 100%. I would argue that Indigenous tourism can be the strongest tool for reconciliation in this country. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. But first, you know, A, truth and reconciliation starts with truth. We haven't had the truth. So providing a platform for Indigenous uh, community members, entrepreneurs, whether they're on reserve, off reserve, urban based, um, it, you know, it provides a platform for their, them to share their story authentically. So now you're starting with what's well, the foundation of what's the truth? What's the real story? And then from there, you know, with the reconciliation piece, it's not just how can we do better, but it's like, how can you support community? How can you uh, support indigenous economic sovereignty? All these various pieces that really play into the byproduct of indigenous tourism. You know, we see motivators from our indigenous entrepreneurs and communities, why they want to get into the indigenous tourism space is very different from a colonial motivator that is typically financially focused, right? 
Um, you know, we see our entrepreneurs and communities looking to get into the space because that's revenue that can come back to community, that can create social programs, that can engage the elders, it can rejuvenate culture and language. And, you know, if you get more youth working in this space, they may be more interested to learn their own traditional culture that they didn't have the opportunity to grow up with because of the current system in place. And then really at the end of the day for you know all the visitors whether you're indigenous or not it provides a safe environment to dip your toes and learn and actually ask the hard questions you know just because you're indigenous doesn't mean you're ready to answer the hard questions and i think these are some of the challenges that we face is we're seeing organizations now say oh well we're going to hire an indigenous person and do this uh, which is a great step in the right direction but when that one individual is being bombarded with all these really heavy questions, you know, that's not fair to those individuals. Whereas, you know, a lot of our operators, they want to share that story. They want to answer those questions and they want to do it in a healthy and safe environment that is really at the base of it, educational. And, you know, this is an opportunity for people to come into the safe space and you know really put themselves outside their comfort zone and learn more in a safe environment while building that reciprocal relationship that they maybe didn't have prior with the indigenous community so i think you know whether it's from economic sovereignty to cultural sustainability to language revitalization like all those pieces that really play into uh, reconciliation you know they're all products byproducts indirect or direct from indigenous tourism and that's that's such a beautiful thing that I think we haven't been able to really accomplish in this country through other means. You know, organizations that I've been involved in, and it's typical, it doesn't come from a bad place. People say, okay, we need indigenous persons. We need more diversity on our boards and our in our companies. I have, I've had some privilege to, to listen to some elders and that listening piece is key, right? You have to listen, not assume someone wants to be on a board and involve your organization that way. That's why this is so interesting to see it led by indigenous uh, people like these these are actual indigenous initiatives if you will so who's driving this shape is it individuals is it communities is it groups like yourselves like where who are the catalysts that are really getting this going and and, and making sure uh, there's opportunity here yeah so i i would say it's you know it's kind of double-edged sword on this one like at the end of the day it's it's our membership it's the resiliency of our businesses and entrepreneurs they've gone through extremely challenging past two years but it's that entrepreneurial mindset, the motivation to provide these solutions that ultimately provide the positive impacts their community and, and their culture. Yeah, I would say that's what's driving it. But from a supportive system in terms of having an indigenous tourism organization, you know, we have a full indigenous board that are really, you know, driving strategy and then obviously our operational team that starts with myself. We're we're here to provide the tools and to be that unified voice. So, you know, there's a mountain of challenges just based on the current landscape and, you know, whether it's funding eligibility requirements from indigenous to non-indigenous tourism businesses to understanding on how to do business, how to manage staff. Like, I think that's where the power of a provincial or national indigenous tourism organization really comes into play because A, we didn't necessarily have the best relationships with our government bodies and indigenous communities. So there's a broken trust there to start with. And then second to that, at the root of it, these are indigenous challenges. And to conquer indigenous challenges, you need indigenous led solutions. So to think that you can have a more colonial perspective on how to create solutions for the indigenous community or these indigenous businesses is quite naive. 
And we're at a place where we need that unified voice because we haven't had one in the past. And those operators haven't necessarily had that in the past or the right support systems in place because of cultural differences. I think people really underestimate how different European or non-Indigenous worldview is in comparison to Indigenous worldview. You know, whether it's motivators and just cultural activities, how you manage those staff, you know, just perspective. And I think that's why it's so important to increase representation in the at the board level or through committees and those type of things, because you're providing a worldview and perspective that is just as different as having a group from Japan coming in to provide their Japanese worldview. You know, like these are, it's that different. I think people don't fully realize. And then when they do realize that, okay, they have to do more. I need an indigenous person on their team or on their board or whatever it is. They don't really know why. They, they know they're supposed to do it, but they, they don't go back to like, well, what's the purpose other than representation and maybe checking that box? Like they want to do more, but they just don't really know what's the intention behind it. And the intention really needs to be your increasing perspective and you're providing that indigenous worldview into decision making positions so we can actually move forward in true collaboration or in treaty fashion as the way it was supposed to be while having both a European but indigenous worldview really bridging the gap to move forward better together. So I think when it when we're working with a lot of our our partners, whether it's municipalities or DMOs or things like that, you know, I always bring it back. Like we can talk about all these great things we can do, but it's like, well, what's your intention? Why are you doing mm-hmm. it? And, and it's not just because, oh, you know, you need to do more, but like, what's the root of it? Why, why are you doing that? And if you can't answer those questions, you're not in an ability to fully implement the process needed to make an impact because you're simply checking a box. And I think that's a really important piece that we need to, acknowledge and work with our indigenous brothers and sisters and community members to figure out solutions so we can move forward with intention. And I think intention and reciprocal relationships are going to be the foundation of how we move forward in a healthy way. I really love the way you frame that. I mean, inclusion is an opportunity for organization because those different perspectives, certainly the perspective of indigenous people who've been here long before European settlers, just enriches an organization and adds to to our, our overall society. So let's talk about what you guys are up to. It sounds like Indigenous Tourism Calgary or Alberta, sorry, has has gotten some funding recently from the government, got some government support, which is always helpful, I'm sure. But I think you've also got a, a pretty significant strategy going forward for the next uh, the next couple of years. You want to tell us a little bit about what you guys are, are looking towards? Absolutely. Yeah. So we were, uh, we're a fairly new organization, actually. We were incorporated in 2018. We really started functioning in 2019 as a, as a PMO for Indigenous businesses. And we're founded really on our four pillars, uh, leadership, partnership, marketing, and development. So, you know, typically you've seen the marketing side with the PMOs, DMOs, Travel Alberta's increased their mandate now to include development as well. But then we also have the advocacy pieces that you see from your industry perspective. So, you know, from a development perspective, we are really trying to accelerate the development of Indigenous tourism product throughout the province. And that is really by providing the tools needed. And we don't just come up as, you know, these thinkers in our in our offices you know siloed we we reach out we reach out to our membership we get their insight and say what do you need um how can we support and then we pretty much find ways to implement solutions to what we're hearing from our membership 
So, you know, with our development piece, we break down our membership into in development or visitor ready, which are very, you know, incumbency type businesses, and then our market ready and export ready, which are our more mature businesses that we can take to market and um, really market to both consumers, both domestically and internationally. So our goal is really to accelerate the process from ideation in development to a market ready or export ready level where the business is more mature, the product's consistent, you're you know, you can be found online and bookable online, those type of things. And ultimately, you know, working with both domestic and international markets. And with that is a variety of activities. We have entrepreneur workshops, uh, community based programs as well, like our pathways program. It's a seven week pathways program that we bring in various communities and they go through the seven week program. And at the end of it actually spits out a path forward strategy for community tourism development within their community that's community led at the grassroots level. We have mentorship programs where we put, I believe it was 11 of our businesses uh, through executive level mentorship with mentors from across the country that have been in executive, executive level positions for 10 plus years and really had that one-on-one mentorship. And that's something we'll be continuing into this fiscal as well in an increased timeline as well, which is great. Obviously, we've been able to support with some liquidity challenges. So we have our micro grant program, and this was a key piece. So just, you know, going back to the support systems that are in place and maybe the understanding of what's eligible and what's not, you know, when the original COVID supports came out federally, uh, whether it's rent relief or sub uh, wage subsidy or all these different pieces, we had, a, I believe it was about four of our members in our entire province that were able to access these supports. And then we had about 15 that were able to be supported through the SMERG program with Alberta. That being said, I believe our team supported about 14 of those businesses to actually fill in the applications and get those approved. So with that, between Indigenous Tourism Alberta and our national body, we were able to support over 100 businesses with, with liquidity to ensure the survival of those businesses that would be otherwise ineligible for any supports. So when COVID first hit, we created a five-year strategy that was really broken down into three sections. One was responding to the current environment and that motivator was really let's ensure that our businesses survive because that was the biggest risk we need to ensure that we have an industry to go back to once we get out of this Mm -hmm. and then the next phase is recovery and resilient and with the sorry response phase uh, i would do say we did a fairly strong job because we only lost i believe one or two of our members and we actually increased our membership by over a hundred percent so that's, I, that's a huge achievement. Sorry to interrupt, but that's a huge achievement given what the tourism industry has gone through. Absolutely. We, we had the, thank you. We had the fastest growth in Alberta, more so than any other province and territory in the country. Um, so that was significant. Um, but now we're moving into the recovery phase of how do we re- really recover and, and drive as much traffic as we can. And this summer is certainly a do or die summer, in my opinion. It's, okay. you know, we've we've been able to stay above water, but just barely, and we need to drive as much traffic as we can to our businesses this summer to ensure that they get some cash flow in hand. And then from our recovery phase, we'll move into the resiliency phase of, okay, how do we're back on track now, we're at pre-COVID numbers, let's, let's build some resiliency into our industry and really set us, set us up for success to be even better than we were pre-COVID. 
So everything we do is really based on that five-year strategy. So the development piece is really into that where it's, you know, the micro grants, the development programs, acceleration programs to accelerate businesses, one-on-one mentorship. Uh, you know, we have staff that simply just answer business questions, provide resources for our membership. And then we go into our marketing side and our marketing side is really everything that you would expect from a regional you know, DMO or a PMO, which would be a destination marketing organization or management organization. So everything from consumer campaigns to media to, you know, working with international markets to drive traffic through resellers uh, and everything in between what you would expect from a marketing side. And then the last piece is really the partnership and leadership. So this really comes, this falls on our, our leadership team, but it's really about how do we build strategic partnerships to align unified goals to get to a better place than we were in the past. And ultimately, like we have a small team. I came in three years ago, just under with no staff. I now have about 11, which is fantastic, but we certainly can't do it all ourselves. We need to have aligned value systems and processes in place with all our partners. So whether it's partnerships with airlines or you know international airports or municipalities, DMOs, we're looking to really build out strong strategic partnerships to build solutions to all these challenges that we're facing from diversity to development to marketing and all everything in between and then just be that unified voice so the last one i'll say is you know with the advocacy work taking what are the challenges and really uh relaying those informations at the highest level so a good example was with the tourism relief fund originally the the dollars came out and you had to be incorporated to actually access those dollars well, about, I believe, 82 to 83% of our businesses aren't incorporated. They're sole proprietors. So, you know, it took myself and some other thought leaders to spend multiple days in Ottawa, multiple times to talk about why we need this change. And we were actually able to get that policy change to include sole proprietors, which now our businesses would be eligible, uh, at least from that framework. So that right there is like, if you didn't have that unified voice, no one knows that it doesn't work and you don't have the data to support the argument, even if someone was telling you. So this is why it's so important to have that unified voice so we can really utilize all the support systems in place to uh, support our business growth. You know, with that advocacy now comes opportunity. So you guys must be a tremendous resource for, or potential resource for, for Indigenous entrepreneurs. Maybe just delve into a little bit of that role that you play. You touched on it a moment ago. And also the receptivity of organizations like airlines and whatnot to, to support those entrepreneurs. You've talked about some of those barriers that you've been able to overcome, but maybe just expand on those, those couple of things. Yeah, you know, I think from what we've heard, um, our, our membership is significantly happy. You know, I, I we have a higher, you know, kind of success rate, I guess, in terms of when you do your membership, you know, um, review of like, okay, how is the organization supporting you? Uh, we have very strong, positive feeling around ITA as an organization, the support systems in place for our businesses. As it goes for our partnerships, you know, it's, it's case by case. Um, you know, I, I must say that the partnership that we have with Travel Alberta has really propelled the acceleration of everyone else getting on board. When I came in uh, originally, it was hard to even get a discussion with a lot of these people, but Travel Alberta and our partnership with them and the leadership with David and their leadership team, you know, we have such a strong relationship that they've led by example. And in doing so, smaller DMOs and municipalities have started to lead by example as well, or at least started the conversation, whereas before the conversation wasn't being had. 
Um, there's certainly pockets of the province that, you know, we're still, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Well, throughout the province, we need more work, but um, there are areas that are doing a very strong job. And, you know, we're working with places like the Edmonton Air National Airport that, you know, we're looking at everything from, uh, you know, the marketing piece inside, but hiring and providing workplace opportunities for Indigenous youth and, and all these different pieces, um, that really play into what Indigenous tourism can be. And, you know, there's other partnerships that we're working on right now, working with the Stampede to help sponsor the powwow that's going on this year, which is extremely exciting. We are seeing people wanting to do more. Certainly not everybody, but we, we're moving in the right direction, which is a really refreshing landscape as opposed to where we were three years ago. Okay, so we've got... Uh, you mentioned off the top, we've got a lot of, uh, of folks from outside of Canada, a lot of international travel. We're talking, to, I think, mostly to Canadians here today. Let's yeah. talk about some of the exciting things going on in Alberta and why Canadians should come and Albertans should come come out and enjoy some of these wonderful Indigenous opportunities and tourism opportunities. You mentioned uh, that huge powwow that I think is going to take place, competitive yeah. one during the Stampede, first time this size and big, yes. big dollars too up for grabs, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that this is going to be the largest um, in terms of dollars to win for the competitors in America. And um, it'll be held in the Sal Dome. We're, yeah, the, the partnership with Sampi has been fantastic. And we're, we're working alongside them to really not only utilize the powwow for the powwow itself, but also like the, the customer base that are going in there, they're our clientele, right? So we will be working with them to really also tell the story of the diversity of indigenous tourism product across the province because you know the challenge that we face among many is that people think indigenous tourism is all homogenous it's all the same where the reality is every culture every community every nation it's all different they all have their own protocol and culture and experiences if you do a mess and walk in bc and do a mess and walk in alberta it's going to be completely different and you know we have to do a stronger job at creating that narrative so you know we're going to provide this platform to share that and then and you know, gotta, if you don't mind me interrupting Shay, I'm sorry to do this, but tell me what goes on in a powwow for, for, for listeners who might not uh, might not know what 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 would people expect to see there? Absolutely. So what the, the powwow is, is it's a competition powwow and it's, you know, a variety of traditional dances that will have nations, uh, professional dancers within those traditional um, dances come over and compete uh, on a variety of things. And the winners actually can take home some dollar amounts as well. So. It'll be, you know, dressing up in the regalia and doing those traditional dances, whether it's, you know, there's a, there's a variety of them. And also those those dances typically, you know, they're, they're based around a story and those stories are are authentic to those communities. So it's a really beautiful way of just immersing yourself. And unfortunately, it's it's what people think of tourism or indigenous right. tourism in Alberta. Like, it's great. But right now. What we see uh, based on our data is like most people think of regalia and teepees when they think of indigenous tourism, they don't know about the diversity. So obviously you have the regalia, it's going to be an incredible experience, um, but we're also going to utilize that space to share the diversity of the uh, other products across the province as well, which it may be Métis focused, it may be Inuit focused, it may be contemporary. You know, indigenous tourism isn't like this thing that's locked in time 50 years ago and they just bring it out to show like, these are traditions that are also contemporary. These are things that are happening now. And there's also a younger generation that are creating uh, indigenous landscape for the future that Absolutely. may not look like the tradi traditional, but it aligns with those traditional values and the culture and language. And this is the importance of that. So 
hopefully we can utilize that space to really share that story throughout and just get the the consumers interested on, on the rest of Alberta and what else is out there. Well, those competitors, those dancers, they're pretty athletic as well. That's oh, not, absolutely. It's not easy. I, I've, see, I've had the privilege of seeing some of it. Folks are, they're tired when they're done though. This is a lot of effort. I, I know oh. I'd be on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and I both. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, listen, that, that's really exciting. Well, let's talk about some of the other things beyond, beyond the powwow then. Let, let's yeah, let's yeah. get into so, that. I know there's some stuff going on at Telespark, but also in the communities. Let's, let's go beyond that. Yeah, so I, I I do want to highlight there there is some um, experiences that are indigenous culturally indigenous, but they're not indigenous owned, so they wouldn't be a part of our membership. So, for example, the stuff that Telespark is doing, it's great. I, I'm assuming they're going through their proper engagement processes and those type of things, but because they're not indigenous owned, uh, and that's similar to you know Fort Edmonton Park, Fort Calgary, Writing on Stone, Provincial, the, those when they're they're businesses that we can we can support when they're working with our members to contractors for guides and those type of things, but it wouldn't be, it'd be more industry partner than a, a member right. ourselves. But yeah. for some of our members, we would look at something like Métis Crossing, which is, you know, a world-class cultural center, Métis culture. It's about 45 minutes outside of Edmonton. And they have this beautiful cultural center that just opened up maybe uh, just before COVID. Um, but they actually just opened up a boutique hotel in the right beside it as well, which is, beautiful and you know it's in a small town of smoky lake but it's it's such an incredible experience you could go for a day you could go for three days it's year-round experiences so that's one i would really highlight for you know couples or certainly families there's a lot of family oriented stuff they have cultural meals um it's yeah great experience and something that it's it's just a special place you go there and you feel like you're it's the spirit behind the land itself. It's a beautiful environment to be in and a really strong way to, I think, disconnect from the craziness that we've been really going through over the past couple of years. Um, and then, you know, looking into the central Alberta area, we have something like Painted Warrior that provides some really amazing, um, you know, various experiences, whether it's medicine walks, they do some traditional archery lessons, they do um, overnight experiences in their canvas wall tents. And then, you know, up in Edmonton, we have some great culinary with Pepe Chow that does, uh, you know, indigenous culinary experiences that really, you know, talks about the connection for him and the food and, and back to where he grew up and hearing about his his family and how, how they used to smoke the dock and those type of things. Um, and they're also providing some, so they're doing things at the farmer's market and stuff like that, but they're also doing stuff with Wishy Jack Art House, which is a indigenous owned art house in Edmonton. So you can have this really amazing culinary meal, but in this beautiful indigenous art gallery. So there's just such a variety of things across the province. And like I said, we have about 80, uh, market, about 80 to 90 market ready businesses throughout the province. So that's everything from, you know, art galleries to obviously your casinos, your cultural centers, like we could talk for two hours just talking about the experiences available. So there's Absolutely. such a diversity. Honestly, I think the best way to kind of start exploring that is figure out what region, whether you want to look in your backyard or you're going on a trip and then go over to our website at indigenoustourismalberta.ca and look at the region and look at the type of experiences there are and just, you know, challenge yourself to go put yourself outside those comfort zones and, and try something new. And I think you'll you'll take away something pretty special that you didn't realize. 
That's great, Shay. Thank you so much. You know, we, we had a podcast last week about the important role that nature plays in our mental health as we come out of the pandemic. And it sounds like there's really a, a tremendous number of opportunities here in Alberta to, to perhaps uh, take advantage of that. So I was going to ask you, you know, where do people go, go to learn more and, and where do we, we find? You've kind of answered that. I think the Indigenous Tourism Alberta website is a, is a good place to start, you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's also the National uh, Destination Indigenous uh, website. That is a great way that provides some some businesses from across the province that are actually bookable. That's through our national body. But ultimately, you know, we have so many experiences in our own backyard. And I, I don't think we need to overcomplicate things. Just go out and have a conversation. Start Start a relationship. I think at the end of the day, we need to build more reciprocal relationships with our Indigenous communities and Indigenous community members. And that can be as simple as going for tea with an elder or putting yourself in these positions. And your perspective and worldview will be challenged and understand that you will feel uncomfortable because of it. And that's a good thing. This is not if you're not uncomfortable, you're not pushing the boundaries enough because the worldview is that different. So I think, you know, let, let we can work together to just build some stronger reciprocal relationships, challenge our worldview and listen first and ask after, you know, because at the end of the day, we can all learn a lot from the Indigenous communities and the entrepreneurs throughout Alberta and across the country. Well, you know, we're, we're not too far away from uh, from the May 24th weekend, which as we know is that sort of the unofficial or maybe the official kickoff of the Canadian tourist season. So that we wipe the snow off our cars and then head out. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like there's so much to do. I mean, that's what tourism is all about, right? It's about learning about new cultures. It's about having wonderful experiences. You know, thank you so much, Shay, for joining us today. Uh, I encourage everybody to go out and check out the Indigenous Tourism Alberta website and uh, and see the great experiences that are out there and, and take advantage of them. Shay, thank you so much. It's going to be a fun summer. Yeah, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure and uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat a little bit about what's going on in Alberta. Well, it's been a great conversation with Shay, one that really makes us think critically about reconciliation and how all of us can commit to learning and engaging with Indigenous communities to further our collective understanding. This is really a great opportunity to fulfill our responsibilities and answer the call to action to repair the harms and damage associated with colonialization. But more importantly, it's also a fun, joyful way to explore communities and peoples in our own backyard and form relationships with Indigenous peoples across the region. I hope this episode inspires you to consider the ways you can incorporate Indigenous tourism into your summer plans. Thanks again to Shay for his time and expertise. It's been a fantastic conversation and one we hope to see more of as Indigenous tourism continues to grow across our region and across the country. So this episode wraps up our mini season. But don't fret, we'll be back soon. In the meantime, check out our previous episodes on the podcast channels and follow us on Twitter at Western Edge by Nav to be the first to know about our return. As always, thanks for joining us and listening to The Western Edge. <laughs>